Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And everybody said, amen and amen. Amen and amen. Well, I, yesterday, I, uh, I did a wedding. So occasionally I'm asked to do uh, different weddings. And this was a wedding that the people had asked me long, long time ago. You ever make a commitment to something like way, way far out? And then it gets closer and closer, and you're like, why did I make that commitment, right? So it was just one of those weeks. It was a busy week. Uh, uh, Crosby had a lot of work, and then it was Crosby's birthday on Friday. And so as a, as a good husband, trying to make sure she had a nice birthday, it was her golden birthday. She turned 27 on the 27th. I didn't even know that was a thing, right? But it is a thing. And so it was just a busy week. I had agreed to this wedding, and, and of course, you know, the wedding... Where, where did it happen, happen to be? Oh, just Rancho Mirage, you know, just out in Palm Springs uh, that I agreed to do this wedding. And it, and it was at the, the Ritz-Carlton. It was super nice. It was super beautiful, all that kind of stuff. But as I was driving out there, I got out there, uh, performed, performed the wedding. It was fun. It was beautiful, all that kind of stuff. And then had to make my way uh, back home. And I don't make this, I don't travel this very often, so I was relying on GPS to get me home. I was relying on that Google Maps to get me home. And, you know, you're taking a couple, couple state routes. Well, it took me through the grapevine. Took me through the grapevine. I don't know if you've ever driven through the grapevine. That's not just a, a figure of speech. I heard it through the grapevine, but it's actual road. And as I'm driving on that road, you know that you kind of are out in the sticks when you're listening to something on your phone and all of a sudden your phone goes dead, Right? It's like, well, I guess I'm not listening to that podcast over the next 45 miles or however long it is. But I get in there, and as I'm driving, I realize some stuff. Because if you've never driven the grapevine, it's a pretty windy road. You're winding, winding, winding. But I realized some stuff as I was driving on that road. You see, when they build roads like that and other highways, they, they, divide, they, de, they design a system of safety, yes? They design this system of safety to help you stay on the road. And part of the reason, part of the design in that is that you have, a, you have a really, really bright painted line that helps you stay there. And then you have these, these things that are, these bumps. Anybody know what those are? The rumble strips. And then in addition to the rumble strips, you have a guardrail. So you've got this whole system of safety designed to help you move in the right direction. And as I was driving that, I was thinking, wouldn't it be nice if we had a system of safety in our own lives. Because here's my point for this morning. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about how to overcome. That there are things in our lives that, that, that pop up on us. Sometimes they are things that are not, have anything to do with us. Sometimes they're just maybe a health thing, maybe somebody else's decision, all that kind of stuff. But we've been looking at how do I overcome. This morning what I want to look at is... What if there was a way to avoid having to overcome altogether? What if there was a way that we could implement a system of safety in our lives so that we're not at this place where I've got to find a way to have to overcome this area? Doesn't that sound like a good idea? Some of you are like, I'm not sure where he's going with this. Think about the different areas that we often have to overcome finances. Does anybody ever, have you ever had to navigate something financially? You ever, anybody ever, you don't have to raise your hands, you don't have to shake, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? You ever make a bad decision financially or multiple decisions, bad decisions financially, right? Financially, 
What about morally? Morally, right? Sometimes we, we find ourselves in this mountain I've got, to over, I've got to climb over because of some not great moral decisions that I've made. Or how about this? Relationships. Relationships. Now, if you're with the person that you love, don't make a move, okay? But what about relationships? How many times do we find ourselves in places where it's like, wow, that was not a great move relationally, and now I've got to overcome? So what if there was a way that we could implement a system of safety that could be a painted line, and then if we pass that, there could be a rumble strip in place, and if we happen to pass that, God forbid, we run into the guardrail, but at least there's a system of safety that keeps us from driving over the edge. So that's what I want to look at this morning as we look at the scripture. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians, do you have that picture for me? Let's put that picture up. There's my picture. Because I want to have this image in our heads as we move throughout this morning That is, we're driving, and oftentimes in life, the road gets windy, yes? Only two people over here. Okay, so I'm going to focus on these two people. (laughs) But life gets windy, and it would be nice to have something like this in place. So we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5. So as you're moving in that direction, let me give us a a bit of context to set this up. So Ephesians, Ephesians is this beautiful book, right? It's this book that, uh, that uh, many people ascribe to this guy named Paul. We've been talking, we talked about Paul last week, that Paul wrote this book. And Ephesians is one of these uh, books in the Bible. Like the whole Bible is good, say yes, right? So the whole Bible is good, uh, but there are certain letters and certain parts of the Bible that, that are just, whoa, like even more rich than the rest of it. Ephesians is one of those books. Now, Ephesians does something because it has... Uh, in its mind, what it's trying to do is it's trying to uh, do, do I, I, an identity formation. As he's writing to the, this letter to the church of Ephesus, he's, he's doing a, a kind of a, a formational uh, writing for the people so that they could understand what it is that, what it means to follow Jesus. Like, what, is it, what does it mean? What, what's, the, what's the beautiful part of following Jesus? And he's writing this beautiful thing in, Eph- in Ephesians. But Ephesians has at its kind of core what the change process looks like. Has anybody ever tried to change anything? Has anybody ever tried to change the diet? Anybody ever tried to change maybe, maybe uh, not, not saying negative things to somebody else, right? So you know kind of the difficulty it can be in, in the change process. Ephesians is writing about that, but it highlights two things in it. It highlights that, that change, say change, And choice, say choice, are the two pillars of the change process. Meaning that when you come to faith in Christ and you receive Jesus and you start to move in that direction, what happens is is that God has done all of the heavy lifting. God has made a way, like you were in prison. You were not even able to make the change. But what God did through the cross of Jesus was that he broke that. He set you free. And now you're in a place where you can change. But that's just the beginning. You see, as we follow Jesus, you'll discover that you have to make different choices. Say yes. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to make a different choice every now and then. Let them know, right? So he says, if you, if you want to change, if you want to experience all that God has for you, 
then I have done the heavy lifting and I've initiated the change, but there's also this part where your choices play in to the change process. And so in Ephesians, in chapter 5, what we're going to look at is that Paul does this beautiful thing throughout it. And I would encourage you, it's not a long letter, you know, this week, go home and read it. Because he talks a lot about these kind of contrast. He talks like light and dark, these contrasting things. Because Paul, as he writes to the people in Ephesus, he says, when you start to follow Jesus, you should look different than the people that are not following Jesus. Oh, we could preach on that for a second, couldn't we, Right? But then he gets really, really practical in Ephesians chapter 5. He, he, kind of, he kind of deviates from talking about light and darkness, and he kind of like, whoop, I'm going to get really practical. I'm going to put some handles on this thing so that you can pick it up and you can carry it with you where you go. So if you've got it, would you say, I got it? So Ephesians chapter 5. Now, there's no way that you got it because I didn't tell you which verse we're going to be in. Oh, Yeah. See, you think I'm not paying? Oh, it's on the outline. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I almost thought I had you there for a second. Ephesians 5. And I'm glad you highlighted that. These are for you. Please take them home with you. Uh, They are not for your seat. They're intended to go with you home. So Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, says this. Now, that's fine. You can leave it up. What I'm going to do is I'm going to break this down, and then we're going to put it together. Because it's real easy to read over stuff in Scripture, and we miss a lot of the important things in it. So we're going to break it down. But it says this. It says, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful then how you live. Now keep in mind, what we're trying to build this morning is that we're trying to build a system of safety that's going to help us not have to overcome. Not have, you know, that there are, I believe that there are avoidable mountains in your life. Turn to your neighbor and say, that'll preach. Just tell them, that'll preach. I believe that there are avoidable mountains in your life, that there are things in your life that we don't always have to overcome. And so what we're gonna try and do is we're gonna try and build that that system of safety. Now, here's Paul. He says, be very careful then how you live. Now, I'm going to give you just one quick illustration, and you're going to completely grasp what Paul is talking about here. Does anybody have a dog? Does anybody have a dog? Or you've, ever, you've walked a dog? Yep. Anybody, does anybody live in California here? Does anybody live in Southern California? Okay, so that's everybody else, because you know that, they're, that Southern California is a place that loves its dogs, but we have tiny places that we live in. Yes? So what Paul is saying, he says, if you have a large dog and you have a small yard, be careful where you walk. What he's saying here is if you've got a large dog and you've got a small yard, be very, very careful where you walk. There's two words in there. The first one is careful. He says, says be very careful. Careful is this word where it's, it's, it's accurately or precisely or given close attention. Be very careful then how you live. Now, the word live can be translated walk, and it often is. So he's saying, he's saying what he's saying is walk wisely. Walk wisely. If you have a large dog, small yard, walk wisely. Pay attention to how you walk is how he starts off this practical piece for us. Now, why does he say walk wisely? Why does he give us that? Here's why. Because when we don't walk wisely, we tend to drift. When you're not paying attention to where you're going, 
when you're not paying attention to where you're walking, when you're not paying attention to where you're running, we tend to drift. Has anybody ever been in your car, pushing that car like this? I don't know how you push it. Two hands, 10 and two, whatever it is, right? You ever been in your car, you're driving, you're following the rules, you've got your music already set, you already put your seatbelt on because you are good people, right? And you're cruising, and somebody starts to drift into your lane. Has that ever happened to you? Oh, maybe I should ask the other question. Have you ever drifted into somebody else's lane? A little laughters, shaking heads, all that kind of stuff. And then you drive up, right, because what we do, because we're good Christian people, and we don't speed up, get next to them, and let them know how we feel. We wouldn't do that, right? I don't know how you respond. I, I respond passively, aggressively when that happens to me. I speed up, get next to them, because I want to know why they came into my lane. And the most frustrating, frustrating thing happens when you look over, and what are they doing? They are on their phone, Right? Looking down, oh, I'm sure that none of you have ever been on your phone and drifted into somebody else's lane. This is Paul's point. He's saying, pay attention to how you walk because when you don't, we tend to drift. We tend to drift into other people's lanes. We tend to drift into places where we should not be drifting. But he goes on. He says, be very careful then how you live. And he gives this part. Not as unwise, but as wise. Not as unwise, but as wise. So he gives us the what part, walk wisely, and then he gives us the how part to walk wisely. And it's interesting how Paul defines this. He, he brings in, like if he's telling you, if you're going to walk carefully and make sure that you're not going to drift into another, another lane, he brings in wisdom. Wisdom becomes the, the decision-making template. He brings this in because this is, gonna this is what's going to help us not drift and walk wisely. Now, wisdom, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk wisely? I, I want to give you a, a question that you can apply to, to any area of your life. When you're, when you're examining your life, you're trying to walk wisely. Because remember, let's back up. What we're trying to do this morning is that we are trying to avoid the, the certain mountains in our life. So we're going to build this system of safety to keep us moving in the direction that we want to head. And so he brings in wisdom as this decision-making template in order to help us do that. But, but what does it mean to walk wisely? Here's the question that I want to give you, you can take home with you, and it's this. In light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, I have this slide, you can put it up for me, and my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? Think about that. Well, you're trying to move in the right direction. We're trying to avoid the mountain so that we don't have to climb it, so we're not in this place. We've got this system of safety. So when we think about wisdom, how do I walk wisely, this is the question that you apply. In light of my past experiences, so things that I've experienced back here, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? Has anybody ever been in high school before? Yes, all of us, or you have a high schooler, or all that kind of stuff. Wouldn't it be, I always thought when I got out of high school, and my brain, I think, formed the way it was supposed to form. It just took me a little bit longer, maybe, than everybody else, right? I always thought, 
as a, as a high school pastor at one time, I always thought if I can just get high school students to think about this right here, they would make so much better decisions, yes? But the truth is it kind of still carries with us and we have to be reminded of this in light of my past experiences, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? In example, when you are thinking financially, whether going and getting a car loan is the best thing for you or that credit card application comes in the mail that, with that statement, what's in your wallet? <laughs> Ask this question. Have I handled money good in the past? What's my current circumstance right now? And what are my future hopes and dreams? Then proceed. What's the wise thing for me to do? Or how about this one? I know we have maybe some single people in the room. Is Netflix and chill? Oh, we had one laugh. We knew what that was. Okay, so I'm just going to focus right in this area here, right? Is Netflix and chill? If you don't know what that means, what that means is that you're dating a person and we're going to go watch a movie and we're going to be alone and we're going to chill. Whatever chill means, right? In light of my past experiences, wow, what, maybe have I gotten into trouble in the past? What about my current circumstances and my future hopes and dreams? Is this what I want to be a part of my future hopes and dreams? What's the wise thing for me to do, or as you're sitting there and you had an experience, somebody rubbed you the wrong way, they drifted into your lane, and you've got that phone out, you've already crafted that text message or that email, or you're ready to send that Facebook message, whatever it is, before you do that, in light of my past experiences, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams, is that a wise thing for me to do? You see, what Paul's trying to help us do, he's trying to help us avoid having to climb this mountain. And Paul brings in wisdom as the great template to help us make that decision. Paul then adds, he goes on. He says, making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity. Literally, what this, what this phrase is saying, it's saying, buy up every opportunity. It's saying if you have access, if you can, it says buy up every single opportunity. Literally, redeem the time. Because time is one of our most limited, it is the limited commodity in our lives. Can you make more money? Say yes. Yep, can make more money. Can you make more friends? Yep, if you read how to make friends and influence people, right? I figured that, but I'm just joking, right? You can have more of those things, yes? Can you buy more toys for your children? I've seen your Instagrams. Yes, right, right? But can you make more time? No, you cannot do that. It's one of the most limited things, and so Paul is saying, listen, be wise, Make the most of every time opportunity. Literally, redeem the time. Buy up every opportunity because time is fleeting. Time is fleeting. Now, I wanted to share this with you, this story. It's, um, 
it's not maybe my best story, but when I was in high school, I played high school sports. I played, um, I played baseball, I played basketball, I played football, all that kind of stuff. And I was one of those guys that um, I was, like the talent part carried me to where I could, I could make the team and become a starter and stuff, but I, didn't, but I didn't have the work ethic. The work ethic did not go with the talent part. And so when, I, when you're in high school, you always think that you're going to be in high school, Yes. Like when you're in that season, there's three people that said yes to that, right? Or college, if college was funner for you, right? Whatever, whatever it was. When I was in that season, I always thought I was going to be in that season. But here's the thing. I graduated and I got out. And when I got out, what did I think about? I, think about, I thought about all of, the, all of the opportunities, all of the different um, times that I had when I was playing sports, one of my favorite things to do. And I realized that I cannot redeem that time. And so what Paul is saying is that the time that's in front of you, buy up every opportunity, make the most of it. But the opposite is true too, isn't it? Isn't there seasons that you wish you could have back? Isn't there, isn't the the first maybe couple of years in marriage you wish you could have back? (laughs) A couple of laughs over here, right? What about the first couple of years with your children, right? I have an eight-month-old daughter, and what's everybody telling us right now? enjoy it. Why? Because it goes fast, right? Because these are moments, these are times, these are opportunities that you can't get back. So what Paul is saying when he says make the most of every opportunity because time, your most limited commodity, it's going to pass you and you're going to wish that you did everything you could to, to make it count. But then he does this interesting thing on the other part of that sentence. He says, Make the most of every opportunity because, what's he say? The days are evil. Because the days are evil. Now, what does he mean by that? When he says that the days are evil. Now, there's a couple different ways that uh, people have translated that, you know, all kinds, of, all kinds of different ways. I mean, you can get into the apocalyptic stuff, all that kind of stuff. But what I think Paul was saying here is that make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It, because this, when he was writing to the church in Ephesus, what he was saying is he's saying that, the, that you are living in dangerous times. You're living in dangerous times. And that you can't afford to live carelessly. You can't afford to to not make it count. You can't afford these things because if you're not paying attention to where you're driving, if you're not employing wisdom in your decision-making template, then you're, you're gonna head into a not-so-great direction. So he says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't look evil to me, though. Let them know. Because the days are evil. We can't afford to live carelessly because time is limited. So then he goes on. He says this. So the first couple of things that he has is that he gives us, as Paul gets practical and, and he's helping us build in this, this system of safety to kind of help us from having to overcome unnecessary mountains in our lives, the first thing that he gives us is he says, walk wisely. Say walk wisely. He says walk wisely. And then he says, make it count. Say, make it count. Make it count. And then this third part, he says in the scripture, therefore, so all of that, he's kind of summarized, do not be foolish, 
but understand what the Lord's will is. Understand what the Lord's will is. Understand. Now, this word, understand, in the Greek, it's kind of, a, it's kind of an, an imperative. So it's like he's, he's saying, like, understand. What do, you, what do you want me to do? Understand. That's, that's, how, Paul, that's how it's coming off. Well, I, understand. What he's saying is face up to, acknowledge, be honest with yourself. Face up to it. Understand what God's will is. Now, how many here, how many here, maybe you've grown up in the church and maybe you've read books, so, so that crowd, let me speak to them for a second, uh, you've, you've, you've wondered what God's will is. Has anybody ever wondered what God's will is for your life? Just quick hand, quick hand. I've, there's been times, seasons, where I have wondered what God's will is. Now, what Paul is saying, he's saying understand what the Lord's will is in the passage. What does he mean by that? Does he mean, hey, go on this uh, discovery season where you, where you can know what God's will is? What he's saying here in this part, he's saying understand. He's saying I can tell you what God's will is not for your life. In fact, those that have raised your hands and you want to know what God's will is for your life, I would love to meet with you because I can tell you, I can tell you what God's will is not for your life. And what he's saying is, he's saying you already know. You already know. Not, not the, oh, am I supposed to start this business? Am I supposed to marry this person? Am I supposed to move to that spot? That's not what he's saying with this. What he's saying is you already know. You already know where you're a little bit too close to that painted line. You already know where your tires are already running over that rumble strip. And I've seen some of your cars in the parking lot. You already know that you've hit that guardrail a couple of times. This is what he's saying. He's saying, don't be foolish. Understand what God's will is. And he says, you already know where you've gotten too close. You already know where you're, you've been flirting a little bit too much in that area. You're, you're, you're drifting a little bit too far in that spot. That's what he's saying. He's saying understand God's will because you're moving a little bit too close. And then he goes on. And he gives this, this illustration, and it's, it's you know, if you've read this passage, you've heard this verse before, but before we read that part, I, I want to give you this, because what he's doing is he's, he's going to give you an illustration now. He just said, don't be foolish, understand what God's will is, and now he's going to give you an illustration of what he means by that. He goes on in verse 18, and it's a one thing leads to another illustration. It's a one thing leads to another illustration. In verse 18, he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to Anybody pronounce that word? Debauchery. Doesn't that sound like a music festival somewhere, right? It's like debauchery, Coachella. That's what they do out there. Not stagecoach, just Coachella. Just teasing, just teasing. What he's doing, now a couple of things about this, because, so I grew up in a tradition that was no drinking, no gambling, no smoking, no insert fun thing, right? So that's a tradition that I grew up in, and there wasn't a lot of teaching on why, why we don't do certain things, that kind of a thing. First of all, in, in Paul's time, wine was actually safer to drink than water. 
You see, what they would do is that they would collect rain and they would collect water from different sources and they would sit in jars. And what happens when water sits? It starts to attract not good things. And so what they would do is they would, they would actually put a little bit of wine in the water and it would actually be more safe to drink than the water. It was, it was more like, wa- like watered wine. Now, so a little bit different than our context, yes, because we don't drink wine because it's safer than water, even if that's what the t-shirt says, right? That's not what he's saying here. But he is telling them, hey, don't be drunk on wine, and, and here's why. Because it's a one thing needs, leads to another scenario. What he's saying is that this thing leads to another thing. Does anybody have kids in the room? Do we have kids or you have any interaction with kids? You watch kids, you're a, grand, you're a grandparent, right? So you have some kids. And what, what happens with kids? When you have the, when you have the child and, and you give them some instructions, you say, honey, don't run around the pool. What do they say? Why? Don't they? Why? And then you have to explain to them, if you run around the pool, you could slip and fall, right? What Paul is doing is he's saying, don't be drunk on wine here, and we want to know why. Oh, am I the only one in the room? Oh, come on, right? We want to know why, and he says, because it leads to something. Now, just to hone in on the, on the drunkenness part for a second, when you, think of, when you think of this phrase right here, how, how would you end it? What would you fill in the blank? When you think of this phrase right here, don't get drunk because it leads to, you don't have to answer, but, but what pops into your mind? Don't get drunk because drunkenness leads to, again, you don't have to answer that, but I guarantee everybody here, and under the sound of my voice, something pops in there. And Paul's point is that one, this is a one thing leads to another illustration. Be careful how you live. Remember, what Paul is trying to help us do is to avoid certain mountains in our life by helping us build in this system of safety. And so he says, be wise how you live. And he gives us that illustration because one thing leads to another. And then he ends with this part. And this is as far as I've gotten this morning. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So he says, don't be drunk on wine because that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, very quickly, if you didn't grow up in a, a tradition that talks about the Spirit, what, what Paul is saying is that, that when you come to Christ, when you make a confession of faith that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that, that he is the one that God sent, he died, was risen again, and you've believed that and you've confessed that in your life, what happens then is that, the, that you are imparted, you are given a gift at that point. Don't you love getting gifts? Right? Don't you love like going someplace nice and they give you a gift? Isn't that nice? This is what happens when you come to faith. That when you make that confession, you are given a gift. And the gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That, that we are all imparted with this gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? You see, before you came to faith, you didn't, the, the Holy Spirit wasn't act, activated in your life. 
So when you went to make decisions, you just checked with who? Me, myself, and I, right? But when you came to faith, you might have noticed this. That as you're approaching and you're going to make a decision, maybe it's a decision where it's one that's going to, it's going to go into that painted line, it's going to hit that rumble strip, it's going to run into that guardrail, and right before you go to make that decision, you hear this little, uh-uh-uh, is that the wise thing for you to do? Uh-uh-uh, is that where you want to be in two years? Uh-uh-uh, that might cost you with your grown children down the road. And what the Holy Spirit does is it, it makes our conscience come alive. And so what he says is, don't be drunk on this because it's going to lead you to that, but instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, let's put the verse together as we conclude this morning. Paul says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise. You can put the whole thing. There's a slide that's got the whole verse together. But wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So what Paul has given us this morning is he's given us something that has handles that we can take home with us as we build in this system of safety to help us not have to overcome that thing. And here's the point. This is what I believe Paul's point is this morning. So... If you were counting the lines in the ceiling or wherever you were, let me bring you home right now. Here's what Paul's point is. Paul's point is, if you'll walk wisely now, then you won't have to climb a mountain later. If you'll walk wisely now, then you won't have to climb this mountain in your life later. There are, uh, there are avoidable things. We don't have to come into a series like Overcome where, where we're just, our life is falling apart. There are decisions that we can make. Now, again, my caveat is that sometimes stuff happens to us, right? It was, it was not of our choosing. It, had, it was, had nothing to do with me. It's just, it's the lot I have found myself in life. I'm not talking to you. Who I'm talking to are those where there are, there are avoidable mountains, and you know what I'm talking about. He says, if you'll walk wisely now, it'll help avoid having to climb a mountain later. But now hear this point. You can't walk wisely alone. You can't walk wisely by yourself. In fact, I have, two, I have a question for you. Where are you walking wisely where are you walking unwisely? And then here's, here's the kicker question. How do you know? How do you know? Unfortunately for us in our lives, although when we drive there's painted lines and there's rumble strips and there's guardrails that help keep us alive and in the right direction, but when it comes to our life, how we live our lives, there's not necessarily that system that's in place. But you see, we can't implement this alone. We can't walk wisely alone. So this is what I have for us. In a couple of weeks, we're gonna launch growth groups through our church. A growth group is an opportunity for us to walk wisely together. You see, you walk wisely with others that wanna walk wisely too. 
And so in the hallway, there's uh, sign-ups, there's registrations where you can go, fill out information. And in a couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to launch those and we're going to journey together. Can you turn it down a little bit? Thank you. But we're going we're gonna to journey together because what I want for you is that I want us to be able to walk wisely, but we do it together. We do it as a group. And as I finish this morning, um, for my birthday, which was earlier this month, my wife got me a Groupon to a, uh, a fitness gym. I don't know what she was trying to communicate to me there, but I received it, right? And it, it, was, a, it was a fitness community, it was a fitness gym, um, that it was a newer one I hadn't been to. We just moved, so we're in a newer, newer location. And, and I went, and it was, it was awesome. It was incredible. Beautiful facility, uh, an outdoor area, an indoor area. And, and I went in uh, day one, and you know, they had all the exercises written out. And so I, I jumped in on that, that first exercise, and I didn't realize because it was my first day that there were like multiple exercises in there. Anybody ever do anything like that? So I went super hard on the first ones, right? I'm finishing first. What's wrong with all these people? I don't even know if I need to be here. Maybe they need a group on, right? But I went super hard, and then they were like, oh, yeah, here's the other three different circuits you're going to be doing. And when I got home, I'm not kidding. I think I aged about 40 years because I was just... Well, thanks, babe, for my birthday present. Really appreciate that group, that Groupon, right? But here's what I've learned through that fitness community. One is that there is a, there's a trainer, there's a coach, and this trainer and coach has more knowledge than I have, and they are in much better shape than I am as well. The second thing I've learned are the exercises. The exercises that, that they, they design and all that kind of stuff, they're, they're intended to help me uh, become stronger, flexible. Uh, they're intended to, to improve my physical well-being. And then the third part is that there's a, there's a community aspect, that you take these classes, you do these exercises with this coach as a group. You're with a group of people that are, that are improving their health and they're, they're moving in a better direction. So that's what I have for us now. That's what I want for us now. As a pastor, I want to help you walk wisely. But we can't walk wisely alone. You can't just come to church and sit in a row and become the person that God has created you to be. I love that you come to church. I want you to come every single Sunday. In fact, I count, and I know when you don't. No, I'm just kidding, right? But I want you to come. I enjoy this part, but... Your life will dramatically change, not in rows, but in circles. Circles are better than rows. So I want to invite you to come, be a part of the growth group, commit yourself to this process, and here's why. Imagine six months from now, imagine one year from now, Rather than being in this place where, oh, thank heavens, God, the pastor's doing a series on overcome. I've got so many things I need to overcome in my life. Imagine coming and approaching it six months, a year from now, and saying, wow, I walked wisely, so I don't have that mountain that I have to climb anymore. Wow, I came and I was a part of the growth group. Now, I don't have to climb this mountain anymore. 
I, I built this system of safety into my life, and I am so much further down the road now because I made a decision to walk wisely with a group of people that also wanted to walk wisely. So let's pray.